0: From data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond, the world of digital marketing is constantly in flux, so how can you keep up? Well, The Current Report is there for you. Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight. If it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to The Current Report wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get into the show, I have
1: a quick favor to ask. We're running a survey asking what makes Decoder special for our dedicated listeners like you, and we'd really appreciate your feedback. The survey helps us understand who's listening, what kinds of content our audience is looking for, and hopefully how we can reach even more fans. You can go to vox.com slash podsurvey or click on the link in the show notes to give us your feedback. Okay, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Decoder. I'm Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge, and Decoder is my show about big ideas and other problems. Today, I'm talking to Phil Spencer. He's the CEO of Microsoft Gaming. Phil's in charge of Xbox and all the game studios that Microsoft has acquired over the years, like Minecraft and ZeniMax, which makes Elder Scrolls and Fallout, among many others. Phil came to talk to us literally hours before the European Commission announced an in-depth investigation into yet another proposed Microsoft acquisition, this time the $68.7 billion deal to acquire Activision Blizzard, which makes the enormous Call of Duty series, as well as Candy Crush on your mobile phone. Now, everyone expected that the Europeans would look into this deal. The UK's Competition and Markets Authority, or CMA, is already looking into it, as is the FTC in the United States. And Microsoft's big competitor, Sony, is openly saying it's worried that the acquisition will reduce competition in the gaming market, and especially cut off access to Activision games like Call of Duty on the PlayStation. So I had the chance to ask Phil, would he make concessions that the regulators want in order to close the Activision deal? And is this deal really just about Call of Duty or something else? He told me that Microsoft is committed to putting Call of Duty on the PlayStation as native code for as long as there's a PlayStation, which is a great line, but that the deal is really about mobile. Mobile is where all the growth in gaming is, and not buying something like Candy Crush puts Microsoft at a huge disadvantage. That's his argument. We also talked a lot about game streaming, which Microsoft has really been interested in over the past few years. The last time Phil was on Decoder, he promised that there would be a dedicated Xbox game streaming device, like a Roku stick for games. That project got canceled because it was too expensive. Phil got into the details on what happened there. Actually, the last time Phil was on Decoder, he had a different title. He was the EVP of gaming at Microsoft. Now he's the CEO of Microsoft Games. That's pure Decoder bait. We talked a lot about what that title change means, what changed in Microsoft's structure around it, and how the decision to change the title and structure was even made. Phil's a candid guy. I always enjoy talking to him, and this was a fun one. One note before we start. I said we recorded this conversation before the European Commission had announced its investigation. I asked Microsoft for a comment on that investigation. Here's what David Cuddy, who's General Manager of Public Affairs at Microsoft, said. We're continuing to work with the European Commission on next steps and to address any valid marketplace concerns. Sony, as the industry leader, says it is worried about Call of Duty, but we've said we are committed to making the same game available on the same day on both Xbox and PlayStation. We want people to have more access to games, not less. That's the statement. Okay, Phil Spencer, CEO of Microsoft Games. Here we go. Phil spencer you are the ceo of microsoft gaming welcome to decoder
2: thanks for having me it's great to be here
1: my list of questions is a mile long so i'm just telling you right <laughs> now you got to talk fast
2: Dude, Speed I'm, I'm like known for long answers. So that's my uh, it's my strategy. It's my then, tactic. Now, happy to hit it. Let's go.
1: There's a lot going on. So the last time you are on the show was 2020. You were one of our very first guests. It was a great conversation. I loved it. At that time, you were the executive vice president of gaming at Microsoft. Now you are the CEO of Microsoft Gaming. It's a big change. you got a new organization under you. Congratulations. What is the difference between being the executive vice president of gaming and the CEO of Microsoft Gaming?
2: Yeah, I'd say the job day-to-day is mostly the same. I think it's really a recognition inside of Microsoft that we run gaming um, in a different way than some of the other divisions inside of Microsoft. We're our own business. We have our own marketing team. We have our own P&L, for those that care about that. We run our finances. That's the show. I
1: care about that a lot. Okay, (laughs) you have your own P&L.
2: Yeah, so we run it end-to-end. There are other CEOs, uh, Ryan Ruslansky, who runs LinkedIn at Microsoft, is also a CEO. So it's really just a recognition of the way that we structure gaming inside of the company. And I'd just say it's an honor to get to be part of the team and lead the team.
1: As you know, we talk a lot about decisions on the show. How did that decision get made? Did you have to sit down and write a memo? Were you like, all right, I got to convince Satya to make me the CEO of Microsoft Gaming? Was it a committee decision? How did it work?
2: It was all Satya's decision. It wasn't (laughs) something that I had pushed for. Uh, I think as we were going through our discussions about the Activision acquisition, good discussions with the board around our future ambitions in gaming and where we're going, it was a decision that my boss made. And he let me know about it one day. I don't know what his process was behind the scenes to make that happen. But no, it wasn't something that I'd kind of put my proposition across the table. It was something that was uh, brought down from upon high.
1: All right. Well, well, next time Sacha's on the show, we'll ask him about that. <laughs> I'm very curious, because that's one of those decisions no one ever gets inside to. You mentioned the Activision uh, acquisition. We, we're going to obviously talk about that a bunch. but. That seems to be the trigger, right? Microsoft is restructuring itself. There's now a division called Microsoft Gaming. You, Phil Spencer, the CEO, that was tied to, we're acquiring this gigantic company. Does this work if you don't acquire Activision Blizzard? Are you still the CEO of Microsoft Gaming? Do you have to give it back if the deal doesn't go through?
2: (laughs) I don't think so. I didn't see that in the uh, paperwork. So there was no paperwork, to be clear. But uh, I... I think it sticks with me. But yeah, I do think it's a recognition of what our ambition is in the gaming space. And I think we're kind of over that hump a little bit. But I will say early on in my tenure in this role, most of these kind of podcasts, I would get questions about, is Microsoft really serious about being in the gaming business? Um, Are we in it for the long run? What are our motivations? And in a nice way, it's. I think we're, like I said, kind of past that, and most of the discussions are about what our ambition is, what we're trying to do, what our worldview is on the gaming business, uh, and that's just up to all you know, all the work that the teams have done, the progress that we've made. So it, I think it's a fantastic, just recognition of of what the org's been about over the last six, seven, eight years.
1: I, I think that's a positive case. That does seem to be. The shape of it, that's what I have heard from other executives at Microsoft. This is a real business, it's not a hobby, it's not something that we accidented into. The flip side of that is as you make it more independent as it becomes Microsoft gaming with the CEO, it's also easier to pull out even farther, right? It's the first step towards pulling it out of the core of Microsoft. You could spin out, you could sell, you could do all kinds of things once it's more independent. Is that a potential future here, or is it just we need more independence from LinkedIn and Azure or whatever else?
2: I wouldn't say it's the first step. I never really think about Xbox outside of Microsoft. I don't think the gaming business has ever been more integrated into what Microsoft All Up is about. We're the largest consumer business in the company. That wasn't always true. But with the progress that we've made as gaming, as an industry has continued to grow, you know, it's a consumer category where Microsoft has relevance. We have brands, we have customers, the most important thing. We have teams, critically important as well. And a lot of our, I'd say, big tech competitors have made forays into gaming, and they might have their own consumer businesses where Microsoft doesn't have a lot of success or or even capability. But gaming is a space that Microsoft has decades of experience. And I do really see this as recognition from the company, that gaming is a place that we're going to continue to invest, continue to make progress, to maybe have a, a, a perspective on where this industry is going shaped by our discussions with partners and creators that's unique in the industry and that we're in it for the long run. And my title isn't I, honestly something I think about much. I still kind of consider myself a software development engineer, which is where I was when <laughs> I started. That's dangerous for the CEO. Be careful. <laughs> now, nah, I mean, I, I enjoy building <laughs> products. It's where I spend most of my time when I'm in the office, going to studios, talking to them about the games that they're building, the products that we're building. It's kind of where my heart is. And frankly, where my capability is. I'm. You know, I'm not a a master of business. I'm not a master of strategy, but I I do love this category of video games. It's something I've done for an awful long time. And it's uh, yeah, it's what I love doing.
1: Have you changed the structure of how the games division works now that it is more independent and you are the CEO?
2: I'd say the biggest move that we made around the same time was the marketing team, which marketing had sat more centrally inside of the company, moved into the gaming business uh, led by Jarrett West. I can't say that there was anything broken about Jarrett sitting in the central marketing team inside of Microsoft now being part of the gaming business. But I do think in terms of the charter, the kind of customers that we engage with, some of them know that Xbox is part of Microsoft. Frankly, there's a contingent of our customers that don't know that. And that's okay. You know, people play video games. They play video games on consoles or on PCs or on their phone. And there's some brands associated with those things. But That was, I'd say, the only structural move that we made at the time. The, the company's always given, at least me in this role, a lot of autonomy in thinking about the decisions that we need to make, how we approach our customers, the things that we do that might be slightly different than what the rest of the company does. And That's been energizing for the team to feel like they've got that both the authority and the responsibility to engage with our customers and creators in the way that we need to.
1: Last time you were on the show, I asked you the classic Decoder question about how you make decisions. You went through the CEOs that you worked for and how they influenced your decision-making process. Now you're the CEO. Has the way that you've made decisions changed? Have you focused it down? How do you make decisions? The thing that
2: year in and year out remains to be true, especially in an entertainment business, especially in the gaming business, is the only kind of greater of your decision that matters is your customer. And we're definitely in a want-to-do activity, not a have-to-do activity. We are entertainment. We're kind of an at-will activity. And when people decide to spend their most precious resource, which is obviously their time and their finances, in gaming, and they choose maybe to play a game with us on our platform or one of our first-party games. That's the thing that just sits at the center of of every decision that we make as a team. Is what would our customers think, and we don't always get it right. And we could uh, have them kind of ingrained and chiseled in my brain decisions that we've made where we haven't landed exactly right things that we were trying to do. But the reception we get from our customers and our fans sits front and center um, in the decisions that we make, and it that force in our decision-making only goes up, meaning as I sit in this job longer, maybe there'd be some expectation that decisions would become more rote, become easier based on this body of knowledge, but the space that we sit in is dynamically changing. So making sure that we're listening to our customers, that we're talking to fans, that we're hearing from influencers and the kind of points of view that they have is is really front and center and the creators um, in the things that we do as a platform.
1: There's a tension there that I really want to pull on in the entertainment business, right? You said it's want to do, it's not have to do. The games industry, the entertainment industry, is moving from being this kind of hits-driven business where every product lives or dies, makes millions of dollars or doesn't, to these recurring revenue models of subscription. We see it, obviously, with television. We've seen it definitely with music. The last time you and I spoke, we talked about game streaming and game subscriptions a lot. That's in a very middle state. It hasn't happened yet. So you are now facing down the holiday quarter. You just made some big decisions, right? You delayed some big games that were supposed to come out for the holiday, Starfield yep. and Redfall. Those would have been the hits. Talk through making that decision to delay the hits. And then I want to talk about this shift in the industry from being an all-hits-all-the-time model to this more recurring revenue subscription
2: model. On the first decision, I think positioning it as a decision might be slightly wrong, at least for mm-hmm. me. Spending the team's effort over multiple years to get to a point where you know you're not going to deliver the game you want on the date that was promised and deciding to move that game isn't really a decision. Now, I guess it is at some level because I've shipped games too early. You know, the industry has, we have experience shipping games too early. But in hindsight, when you look at it especially a game like Starfield that has taken so long and so much kind of investment and new IP from the team, the decision to give the team the time to build the game that they feel they should be building is is just the right thing to do. There is financial implications to those decisions. So weighing, okay, what is going to happen, whether it's platform growth, subscriber growth, just frankly, the revenue that you generate when a new game launches are business decisions. So you definitely have to weigh the outcome um, of those decisions. But for any game, but definitely a game like Starfield, kind of our Starfield and Redfall, our first big Xbox games with ZeniMax coming into the team. I just wanted to make sure those teams felt that they had the support that they could get from Xbox. Maybe... Feel some of the benefit of being part of a larger organization that has other revenue streams and other things going on that could be helpful. And in the end, the quality of the game will, I I believe, be better and customers will find the experience to be more interesting, which will hopefully feel like the right decision in, in hindsight.
1: Walk me through how the decision was made. Did those teams come to you? Did you look at the work? How long did it take to make that decision?
2: I mean, maybe this is where some of my experience in the industry comes to play. I mean, for both Todd and Harvey, I I know them well. Having the discussion about where those games are, I'll focus on Starfield with Todd. Um, You know, he and I have an honest kind of discussion going on, starting, frankly, from the day the deal closed on where are we with the game? What are the risks that we see? We have some internal teams at Xbox, our advanced technology group, ATG, which we can deploy and help teams kind of look at where they are in tech challenges, production challenges. I'll, I'll say I, as somebody who's seen a few county fairs here, might get some gut instinct about where we are, just in the way the teams are talking about their game, where we are in playing builds. But you want teams to feel like they own their dates. It's one of the things I've learned is that when teams feel like they own their own destiny with their games that they deliver better Um, so you kind of wait for the real signal from the the creative teams and production teams but it's an ongoing discussion about where we are it's not like one day all of a sudden somebody comes in and says okay um, our date's going to have to move we understand the the weighted risk on everything that's going on and just kind of track it it's a fundamental part of the job that matt booty does and and jamie leader and running our first party studio organizations.
1: That's the hits business, right? We, we've got a hit. We're going to move the date. It's not ready. There's going to be some risk to, I don't know, holiday revenue for Microsoft, for Microsoft games. Then there's the other part, which is, man, it would be really cool if everyone just paid us 15 bucks a month all the time and the games came out and everyone was just happy and that base of revenue was recurring and it was a little more stable than hits than console generations. Is that the move? Because that seems like where you have been building for a long time, but it's harder to get there than maybe anyone anticipated.
2: We don't have this vision of everybody's paying us $15 a month. We think the subscription is an interesting business model for certain kinds of games and for certain customers. But I really see it as diversifying the way people build their library of games or creators can reach the customers that they wanna reach with the content that they build. But it will always be part of the business, in my view. I think people buying their games and owning their games will be an important part of the business for years and years to come. Free to play games with post-sale monetization and the add-ons and battle passes and stuff that those teams have figured out will be a significant, probably majority of the business for a decade plus plus. and subscription will augment that and, and really that's the extent of it. We're not building towards a world where subscription is in any way dominant or predominant on our platform. Um, we think for certain customers, maybe certain customers in certain markets with certain economic kind of livelihood that they're, they're managing their cash flow, subscription can be very valuable. But la- having our customers choose the way they decide to play and how they play is really fundamental going back to how we make decisions. And it's why you don't see us doing exclusive games in the subscription or trying to drive people away from purchasing games. We love it when people purchase their games. It's fantastic. Um, But we also like it when people subscribe. The thing that we're really looking at is, can we just get more people to play more games and make that easy for every player who wants to play? To be
1: fair, I I heard that line at the beginning of the streaming transition in music, very famously from Steve Jobs, actually. People like to own their music is a thing that he used to run around saying all the time. Uh, We heard it from the movie industry. Now I feel like we're hearing it from the games industry. Is that just the point on the curve that you're at? Is some people are going to buy it and some people are going to stream and we're going to one day, five years from now, wake up and it's all streaming and subscriptions or is it, this is kind of a permanent state of affairs?
2: Games are fundamentally different and for, you know, we play, so we know this. Games have a business model unto themselves. Songs don't. Right. Right. You, as long, if you have access to the song, the decision is, did I pay for the whole album? Did I pay for the track or am I subscribing? If you think of most any game in the market, not all games, but almost any game in the market today has a business model unto itself that should be sustainable and profitable for the creator of the content. That's not true of a movie. That's not true of music. It's not true of books. And I think games are just fundamentally different that way. That's why free to play is such a big model in video games because if you can get people to play and you can compel them to continue to play. You can build a business around that. And obviously there's massive free to play games across all platforms right now that we could look at examples of that. And a free to play game, just to use that extreme, free to play and a subscription is a little bit of an anomaly. Why would I ever pay a subscription to play a free to play game? Now we'll do some things around perks and other things to maybe make it feel like you're a, a special part of that free to play community if you're a subscriber. But in the end, free to play is a great way of finding millions and millions of customers will exist, I think, forever in video games. I remember the time when people thought free to play was kind of, you know, a, a, a blasphemy in video games. That How can you let people play for free? And then people figured out, hey, this can actually work. So I, I think that's the fundamental difference. It's not I'm, I'm definitely not smarter than people who did music subscriptions or video subscriptions. I just think the fundamentals of gaming are different such that subscriptions will be part of the solution, but not the only solution.
1: Yeah. The fact that you can shop in a video game and you probably shouldn't shop during a movie.
2: (laughs) Or while listening to a song. It might be under
1: remarked (laughs) upon in general when when people talk about it. Are you still selling the Xbox consoles, the Series S and Series X as fast as you can make them?
2: S, you can find, right? I think this is a good thing. Series S, you can find in the market. Like, we have inventory in shelves ready for the holiday season. It's something we've been building towards. X is still a little more difficult to find. I mean, obviously, our goal would be that you would have the kind of great weeks on hand stuff I learned in this job about what retailers, how much inventory um, retailers have, that you want to have product on the shelves so that when customers walk in, again, spend their time to come in to find something, whether they're doing it online, frankly, or in person, that they can find your consoles. X will be a little bit more difficult to find more than a little bit. It'll be difficult to find through the holiday. Um, S, I feel good. I think this is a positive that it's available in market for uh, families who want to come in and and maybe add a video game console to their... uh, to their household
1: are you seeing the demand for the console slow down as the economy is doing whatever it's doing
2: clearly in a uh entertainment space you know we are not food we are not shelter we are not things that families as they're going through economic constriction and they're managing their cash flow uh we are one of the things that one of the activities that at some point has to fall out of the what am i going to pay for this month. And that's right. Like if we just think about the, the world's economic situation as people are managing energy costs and other things that are happening, it's natural that that could have an impact on anything. That's not a must have opportunity. Games have tended to be a little more resilient during times because we're I think a good value for the dollar. If you just think about people, either the games that you already own, the console that you already own, the ability to sit down and play, play as a family, give your family things to do, the kind of expense per hour entertained, if that that's not a ratio we track, <laughs> but if that's something, that families are thinking about. Video games tend to be, you know, kind of weather these these times uh, maybe better than some other segments. But absolutely, we have our eyes on the looking at what's going on in the world economic situation and understand what video games are. And at some point, families might have to make decisions away from from video games. We're not really seeing it yet. Um, a little bit of slowdown in, in certain spots, but overall um, gaming activity seems to continue to be strong.
1: Well, you said certain spots. Is it is it worse in Europe? Because Europe seems to be where it's hitting the hardest right now uh, economically.
2: I, th- I think what we're seeing as we're doing some research and other things is that people are valuing. Kind of, and this sounds like an ad, but you asked the question, so I'll just go here. Um, Over here, <laughs> it's not. You're not here for an ad. Um. <laughs> You know, the fact that we do have an S console that's that's I'll say less expensive than our X console is helpful to families. The fact that we do have a subscription, that means I don't have to pay $70 for every one of my video games. I can build my library in a different way. Again, I apologize for it sounding like an Xbox ad, but it, it is what we have. We are definitely getting from customers that those things are seen as valuable in ways for them to manage their flow and even games coming out on both platforms. And I know there's another side of that that certain people dislike. Yeah. But if I have a PS4 and I wanna play God of War, the fact that I'm gonna be able to do that and I don't have to go out and spend $500 on a new console um, and people should play God of War, it's great. Um, that is our industry recognizing where our customers are and providing them value where they are and providing them benefits. If they do wanna go buy a new console and see you know, great games on their new hardware, that's also an advantage. So I wouldn't say it's geographic where we're hearing things, but, you know, different families in different situations, valuing choice, valuing the option to play where they are instead of having to buy new hardware is definitely a benefit for many people.
1: We've heard that the chip shortage is actually slowing down, especially in GPUs. GPU supply is there. Is that true for you as well? Is that what you're experiencing as you try to have inventory for the holiday season?
2: We are seeing supply strengthen for us, demand has not really weakened so uh, all along while we focused a lot on supply chain during this first two years of the console generation for us demand has never been higher for us on xbox so if we go back to the original xbox 360 xbox one we're selling more consoles than we've ever sold at this point in a generation a lot of the discussion because of COVID and other things has been on global supply chain and supply clearly if we had more supply we could meet the more demand but our kind of stock situation has has been driven as much i would say by demand as it has been supply and that demand doesn't really seem to be slowing down much so the fact that we're starting to see more supply come in that's why i said on x i think you're still going to see it kind of vacate the shelves pretty quickly but we are definitely seeing supply ease up and i suspect as we get into 2023 touchwood you'll be you'll see consoles on the shelf when you walk in the store mm.
1: We have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we get into it about Activision, PlayStation,
0: and regulation. Support for Decoder comes from Indeed. Finding the perfect candidate for the job can feel like a product of fate, but all you really need is just an efficient matching engine that knows your preferences. For that, you can turn to Indeed. When hiring on Indeed, you can ditch the busy work. It schedules, screens, and messages candidates for you so you can connect with them faster. Its matching engine learns from your use too. So the more you use Indeed, the more accurate it gets. A recent survey by Indeed found that 93% of employers agree the site delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. You can join the more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash The Decoder. Just go to Indeed.com slash The Decoder right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash The Decoder. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Support for Decoder comes from Notion. Winter is beginning to wind down and spring cleaning is just around the corner. In that spirit, it's time to declutter your digital workspace. For that, you might want to check out Notion. Notion combines your notes, docs, and projects into one space that's simple and beautifully designed. And the fully integrated Notion AI helps you work faster, write better, and think bigger. Doing tasks that normally take you hours in just seconds. Personally, I use Notion to keep myself organized and to store all the information I need in one place. I've tried a lot of productivity apps over the years, and Notion is sleek, intuitive, and powerful. In particular, Notion has an AI feature called Q&A that allows you to search all of your notes by simply asking for what you're looking for. For me, that means old links to news stories, long lost notes to myself, and maybe even an old password to an account I might be trying to dig up. Seriously, give it a try. It's as easy as just asking a question. We all want to be sending less emails and tuning into less redundant meetings. And Notion can help you by automating tedious tasks, like managing and summarizing notes. It'll also help you save money on all those tools you won't need anymore with Notion's integration. Over half of Fortune 500 companies rely on Notion to simplify their workflow, and you can join them. Try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash to try the powerful, easy to use Notion AI today. And when you use our link, you're supporting our show. Notion.com slash
1: We're back with Phil Spencer. All right, this brings me to the $68 billion gorilla in the room, which is the Activision acquisition. Regulators around the world are looking at it. The reason I think this is a segue to it is you're saying, we're selling all the Xboxes we can make. There's more demand for Xboxes than ever before in our history. And as regulators look at the deal, Microsoft is arguing to European regulators, hey, we need this to even compete. The quote is, Xbox is the last place in console, we're seventh place in PC, and quote, this is a quote from Microsoft, nowhere in mobile game distribution globally. So we have to be able to buy Activision to even be competitive. At the same time, you're on this show saying, there's more demand for Xboxes than ever. We have this amazing suite of products that can meet people at all of their price points and economic conditions. How do I reconcile those two things?
2: Well, on console, I, I think you would admit those both can be true. We can be in third place and have more demand than we've ever had. That's completely possible, because I think the other console manufacturers are also seeing more demand than they ever had. I don't think anybody needs that quote from us to understand how irrelevant we are in mobile, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> anybody who picks up their phone and decides to play a game would see that their own and pc as well our trials and tribulations over the last five six years in pc gaming are are well kind of documented and we continue to work at it and i love the work that the xbox app team has been on and our pc uh, studios doing great work on pc but it takes time Um, so I, i think one is just an accurate snapshot of where we are and this in terms of the activision opportunity And I keep saying this over and over, and it is true. It definitely starts with a view that people want to play games on every device that they have. And in a funny way, the smallest screen that we play on is actually the biggest screen when you think about install base um, in phone. And that's just a place where if we don't gain relevancy as a gaming brand, we're not alone in, in seeing this over time, the business will become kind of untenable for any of us, that if we're not able to find customers on phones, on any screen that somebody wants to play on, you really are gonna get segmented to a niche part of gaming that running a global business will become very challenging.
1: Let me push on that a little bit, draw that out. So you're saying, if you don't initiate customers on their iPhones or their Android phones, and you're not playing there, eventually the Xbox becomes a niche part of gaming that is not globally sustainable.
2: Well, let's just start with console all up and maybe this is a vocabulary, but like how I think about it, if you say the gaming industry right now is $200 billion and maybe it's growing by nine or 10%, that's probably a 2021 number, but let's just use that. And if console as a business is flat and PCs basically flat, and it's still growing at nine or 10%, that means all of the growth is happening in mobile, which has been true now, if anybody looks at the numbers for five or six years, that all of the growth in gaming has actually come on mobile phones. So as a percent of the overall gaming business, console business is shrinking because the overall business is growing and console stays relatively flat as a business, same thing with PC. And then when you look at the largest gaming companies out there, Tencent being the biggest gaming company in the world, so much of their revenue comes from mobile and then they put their kind of business success that they've earned through the work that they've done into the market, acquiring other studios at a very fast rate. And it puts a lot of us out there who are maybe traditionally segmented to one screen and one device in a position of, okay, if you play this out over 10 years, if console itself is not going to grow and PC will grow in certain years and and not years and mobile continues to grow, how do you continue to run the business and stay competitive to others that are out there either acquiring talent, building new business models, new distribution, building new franchises? It's critical that if you, if you're trying to run at scale global gaming business, that you meet your customers where they want to play. And more and more, mobile is the places that people want to play. Now, in addition to that, there's also a creative capability around social, casual, free to play that's on mobile. And I also think our studio organizations need to be great at building many different kind of games that many different kind of players play, not to kind of downplay the great success that we've had over the years as Xbox and the games that we love to go build, But in running a business like Xbox, you need to be globally relevant to anybody who wants to go play. So I'm looking at the Activision Blizzard numbers. They are structured pretty
1: independently. There's Activision, there's Blizzard, and then there's King, which is the division that makes Candy Crush. Their last numbers, they just had their earnings. King makes more than Activision and Blizzard. Candy Crush makes more than all of Activision Are you surprised by that? I'm not. I I think our listeners are probably going to be surprised by that. But that's not new. You're buying the Candy Crush company. People think about it as Call of Duty or whatever, but it's, you're buying Candy Crush.
2: Absolutely. And in addition, the number that's not in the Candy Crush King number is Call of Duty Mobile and Diablo Mobile, which are big franchises that exist in that Activision bucket and in the Blizzard bucket that are also major players on phones. Yeah, the idea that Activision is all about Call of Duty on console is a construct that you know might get created by our console competitor and also maybe some players out there who So you mean Sony but you don't mean I Nintendo didn't say that. you mean I Sony didn't. <laughs> I haven't heard Nintendo's been sending <laughs> in any complaints about the deal um but it's if you look at the totality of what Activision Blizzard King does where their customers come from where they make money and like the the stats that you put out it's, again it's not new This has been many, many years. It's the same reason that Take-Two looks at Zynga and says, okay, we've got to build out our mobile capability. I'd say Activision Blizzard King did a better job of doing that earlier, definitely better than we did. And they're now in a position where they've got great PC franchises, great console franchises, and great mobile. For us, the real differentiation that they add to us is their mobile capability.
1: So I was looking at some reporting yesterday to prepare for this interview. It sounds like the Activision side of this deal is saying, just do whatever the regulators want and close this deal so we can get paid out and go away. The regulators are saying, we want to impose all these conditions on you. Most notably, Sony is making a lot of noise about Call of Duty and how long it will stay in the PlayStation. Are you prepared to make the concessions that regulators might want to close the deal?
2: I have not sat down with a regulator where they've proposed any regulations. So I think what people are maybe purporting to report in the press about what's happening is is maybe more rumor and and hearsay i have said specific to call of duty on playstation and on switch because i i'd love to see it on both i don't want to make this just about one one of our console competitors it's something that we want to do it's in our models when we think about how this plays out over time the financials of activision is that call of duty would stay on playstation and we're Definitely open to discussions with either Sony or regulators about making sure that that continues to happen in a way that they they want to see. I will say for things like Minecraft, which is my kind of go to example, because I think we've run Minecraft the way that we would run Call of Duty if we were to close this deal. We don't have a deal with Sony or Nintendo, a multi-year deal to put Minecraft on those platforms. Like there seems to be some notion that you have to have some kind of long-term structure in order to continue to support those other platforms. We support Minecraft on those platforms because of how people should analyze this deal, which is about customers. When I think about where we are in Activision Blizzard King and the regulatory work, I think the harm that should be analyzed is are we gonna harm players? And is there a world where players have less choice in the market or there's some kind of blocking that we do? We're committed to continuing to ship Call of Duty on PlayStation, and people are worried about that. We're committed to putting these games in Game Pass, which gives people more options in how they want to go play these games. And nobody's presented to me a, a case that shows how Game Pass is bad for customers. So from the value of a customer, I have a ton of confidence. In how a regulator or anybody else looks at this deal and says okay i understand that this like i have a point of view on how this deal impacts the real important constituent which are the players i don't think the regulatory view on this deal should be about how we compete with one of our competitors almost by definition there there's give and take in market share and other things when we're competing with other companies but in terms of players i look at can we bring benefit to the players in the gaming market through this deal and i think we can so you have
1: walked into a major philosophical debate in competition law that we do not have enough time to fully explore. But the question there, and the difference between the United States and Europe, is the United States looks at consumer welfare, and Europe looks at the amount of competition in a market. And the United States, the Lena Khan version of the FTC, is trying to make the change, right? To say, actually measuring competition is better because of downstream effects on consumers. Do you see that split? Is that come to you from your legal teams? Hey, here's the U.S. standard, here's the European standard, here's the strategy we have to pursue because either one of these regulatory regimes could block this deal.
2: Anybody who's looked at, at least my, if resumes are still a thing, understands that I'm a, a guy who wrote code coming out of college and I play a lot of video games. Like I'm not a, a lawyer. You're I definitely- You're an
1: unfrozen caveman.
2: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, sure, so.
1: I buy it. You're the CEO of Microsoft <laughs> Games. I know that you have lawyers.
2: No, we have lawyers, so I'm saying like and I will have discussions with them about approaches. I'll say in my discussions, I always come back to how does this impact our players, our customers and even customers on other platforms? We're committing. I'll do it publicly. Like we're going to ship games on PlayStation if if that's where the, the kind of focus is. We're the third place player in console. I don't think anybody can argue that we're not. And we've been third since we started in just in terms of global install base. And that's like 20 plus years. I understand a view on how this might impact competitors, and I welcome the conversations that any of the regulators are having with other gaming companies. I think it's a valuable process. I think we should end up in phase two, in whatever that means, in all of these these regulations. I mean, it's a big deal. It's an important category. I understand the discussions that we're having, and I think they're valuable and and useful in terms of kind of the public discourse around video games and and acquisitions. So no harm there at all. And In fact, I, I enjoy the conversation conversations. In terms of the impact that we have on competition, I want to be more competitive in gaming, not less competitive. Um, And at some level, that will mean you have an impact on the other players that are ahead of you in the race. I think that's almost by definition, that's the definition of competition, I think.
1: You mentioned not having a contract or a deal for Minecraft. We do have some reporting. Our own reporter, Tom Warren, had it that you promised Sony three years of Call of Duty. Sony said that's not good enough. You recently have a quote that says you will have Call of Duty on PlayStation for as long as there is a PlayStation, which is, by the way, a great quote because of the implied threat that it contains. I appreciated that. Is that your? It's true. You're like one day there won't be a PlayStation. I'm coming for you. That's I appreciated that about it. Um, Way is that? Have you made that promise to Sony that we will ship Call of Duty on PlayStation as long as there is a, a PlayStation?
2: I mean, when I'm standing out publicly saying it, I would assume anybody at Sony would see that. I think, but well, they can't the, hold you
1: to that. I mean, they can't they take you to
2: court because you said it. I mean, say it to me on my
1: show. It'd be great if they filed a lawsuit based on decoder. That's a they, huge win for me,
2: <laughs> but you've got to write it down for them. No, you don't. That's what I'm saying. Like I support Minecraft. I support the players on PlayStation who want to play our games like Minecraft. And as we expand to Minecraft Dungeons, Minecraft Legends, We do that not out of any contract we have with Sony, but the contract we have with our customers. And that's what's important. I understand in the optics of this deal that we might wanna make, and I'm totally open to doing this, a contractual commitment to Sony for some number of years that says, okay, we're gonna to continue to ship Call of Duty on PlayStation. And I'm totally open to that. No issue at all. This idea that we're gonna write a contract that says forever, like, <laughs> you know, like that doesn't make any sense in any like lawyer. Like, you're gonna do something forever. There's obviously a business relationship and to the royalty exchanges and other things. Like, you're not gonna give up any ability to do what you need to do and the flexibility with the business in the future. When I'm saying things like, as long as they're a PlayStation, there was no implied threat at all. I hope there's a PlayStation forever. <laughs> Forever, <laughs> um, I do. I mean, I think PlayStation and Nintendo are great for the gaming industry. Hopefully I've been consistent in saying that. All I mean is that at some point you've got to ha- have the ability to have running your business, not just the console business. It's not about at some point I pulled a rug out of ne- underneath PlayStation sevens legs and it's ha, ha, ha you just didn't like write the contract long enough. There's no contract that could be written that says forever. Our model is we want to be where players are, especially with franchises the size of Minecraft and Call of Duty. I think our Minecraft history now that's coming up on what eight years, nine years shows in practice how we will support our customers. And that's what I want to do with Call of Duty. This idea that we would write a contract that says the word forever in it, I think is a little bit silly, but to make a longer term commitment that. Sony would be comfortable with, regulators would be comfortable with. I have no issue with that at all. Um, I do think there's going to be a time horizon, just like anybody writing a contract would suggest there should be and will be. But it has nothing to do with any kind of strategery there. We think Call of Duty will be on PlayStation as long as players want to play Call of Duty on PlayStation. And that's not a competitive threat against PlayStation. That's just a, a kind of a pragmatic way of looking at it.
1: This brings me back to game streaming, right? Because one way you could get Call of Duty
2: on PlayStation. Native Call of Duty on PlayStation, not linked to them having to carry Game Pass, not streaming. If they want a streaming version of Call of Duty, on the, we could do that as well, just like we do on our own consoles. There's nothing behind my back. It is the Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 2, doing great on PlayStation, doing great on Xbox, the next game, the next, next, next game, next, next, like native... On the platform not having to subscribe to game pass sony does not have to take game pass on their platform to make that happen there's nothing hidden we want to continue to ship call of duty on playstation without any kind of weird aha i figured out the gotcha and phil said our intent <laughs> or some I hidden wasn't even coming at it that
1: way. i'm glad that you interpreted it that way i wasn't even going there no it's uh, like
2: it's it, it's fine it's just it's uh <laughs> I understand some people's concerns on this, and I'm just trying to be as clear as I can
1: be. Someone has sent you the digest of angry tweets about this. I can tell that you're like (laughs) ready to fight with with the people online. We have to take one more quick break, but when we come back, we're talking about streaming games. We'll be right back.
0: Right now, businesses are facing tough choices. Do you cut costs or drive growth? Solve for today or build for tomorrow? Do you satisfy your shareholders or satisfy your customers? The answer is yes. You don't have to choose. With the intelligent platform for digital business from ServiceNow, you can say yes to unifying your existing systems and yes to accelerating growth. Visit ServiceNow.com to see how we can help you put yes to work. The world works with ServiceNow.
1: Back. The last time you were on uh, in 2020, we did talk a lot about game streaming and all the places you could put a viable game streaming app. Yeah. And one of them was obviously competitor consoles. That's a pretty interesting way to do it. But you said within a year, we'll have a streaming stick. We'll, we'll just do it and you can plug it into TVs.
2: And we didn't do it.
1: And you didn't do it. And recently, I think last month, you said we're years away from this idea. What happened there?
2: The console we built that now people have seen. Um, Keystone. Keystone was more expensive than we wanted it to be when we actually built it out with the hardware that we had inside. And we decided to focus that team's effort on delivering the smart TV streaming app. So it was really just a direction of effort and team and focus to say, OK, we're going to go focus where our partnership with Samsung um, and then you know where that app might continue to, to show up in different places over time. Uh, and not, I was going to say to shelve the idea, kind of a, a bad pun, but <laughs> um, with with Keystone still focused on it. When can we get the right cost? But when you've got Series S at two ninety nine, dollars and like during the holidays, you see some price promotions. You obviously have Series X higher. I think in order for a streaming only box to make sense, the price Delta to S has to be pretty significant. I wanna be able to include a controller in it when we go do that. So it was really just about, could we build the right product at the right price? Or if we can't, how can we focus the team's effort? And we decided to go do the TV app with Samsung and we're really happy with the results there. What's the right price? Um, I don't wanna announce pricing specifically but i think you've got to be 129 99 like somewhere in there for that to make sense in my view that we just weren't there we weren't there with the controller and we said okay like and i love the effort the reason it's on my shelf is the team rolled up their sleeves and in nine months they built that thing and a bunch of us took it home and it worked it worked really really well but i just i thought I mean, when you're building new products, it's always about, do you have the right design? Do you have the right user interface? Do you have that customer proposition? And the customer proposition includes the price. And I just, I think all of us knew that we were a little out of position on price.
1: Was it the price too high because of the processor inside, because of the controller inside? I'm, you're, you keep mentioning Samsung TVs. Samsung TVs are not like processing powerhouses, right? Like everyone who's ever used a smart TV knows
2: like these things are underpowered out the gate and then they feel even more underpowered over time. No, this is why we will get there um it's different when you have your own power source so i mean not to go into hardware design but if this thing's standalone i mean it's not living on the power source of the tv and the integrated circuits that are already in the tv you have to do everything bespoke but we made like we made some decisions to make it easy the thing when it turned on it looks like an xbox the user mm-hmm. interface everything works um, but the kind of some of the silicon choices that we were making at the time we were designing, just didn't let us hit the price point that we wanted to hit. But I was like, I love that when teams go off, it was kind of like our back compat team back in the day, when teams go off and take a crazy mission of we're gonna go build a streaming console, and then we all get to try it at home, and actually the experience is really good. I just, I applaud that over and over. I love when teams take risk and deliver. I think it's fantastic.
1: One of the things you're gonna run into in that kind of market, obviously Samsung has a smart TV platform. They're pretty dominant. They sell a lot of TVs. That's a good way to address the customers. But if you want to ship that app at scale, you got to build a Roku version, a a Google TV version, whatever Mm. LG uses. I think it's a webOS, an Apple version. Is that the plan? You're going to build versions for all these different app stores?
2: So what we did on our tech roadmap, people might have remembered we started with an app for our streaming um, when we were kind of early on testing on iOS and Android. And we fairly early switched over to building a PWA, so a progressive Mm -hmm. web app. And we're available in any kind of Chromium based web browser, which gives us a lot of flexibility in terms of where it shows up when you have a PWA in your arsenal and you're accessible via URL on Chromium. So as we look at device expansion and where our service might end up, some of the where we end up we have nothing to do with because we're like hey if if you've got a a good web browser you can pin this url and the experience is pretty good Um, certain mobile phones won't let us do that but like there are certain platforms out there where that's an option the pwa gives us a lot of flexibility so that we don't have to port a native app to every one of those ecosystems as you're talking about and that's given us a lot of flexibility And that's kind of where our focus is right now for expansion, is focus on our PWA app experience and focus on the URL experience. And maybe at some point we'll get to building more bespoke apps where we need to, but we're getting pretty good expansion just focusing on URL and PWA.
1: PWA's are really interesting. Progressive web apps, they load in the browser. One of the reasons you have a PWA is because Apple wouldn't let you put game streaming in the App Store. This famously came out in the Epic lawsuit. Microsoft is supporting Epic's appeal of that lawsuit. You talked a lot about having to expand in mobile, right? This is why you're buying Activision, to get that big foothold
2: in mobile. Is Apple still the blocker there? Well, we also can't monetize on Android. So if you've played and tried to any of the games that are in the subscription that have a business model, we have to monetize outside of the app experience which for some users is no issue, but for other users it is. So I don't think it's just one of the duopoly. It's not just Apple in the mobile space. I think Google um, constricts as well. It's discoverability because it I think we probably both say these app stores aren't just about deploying bits. They're where you go to find things. So I, anybody who has an iPhone right now, go and type Fortnite in the app store and see what, sh- see what shows up. <laughs> you don't get a link to Xbox.com, whack play, whack Fortnite. I'll tell you that. Yeah. You get a link to some things that aren't Fortnite that are trying to fool you into thinking they are Fortnite because people use these app stores as discovery. So it's, it's about discovery of things that you want to go play. It's about easy access to those things, about deployment and in the end monetization so the creators can actually build a business and mobile is a place that we're really challenged. And you're absolutely right. I think in order to help break that, I do think we need some regulatory help there, but also having a real footprint with players engaged every day in games that we build so that we can help cross promote to other things that we're doing on phones can really help us um, with discoverability. But it's a high beta bet that you're actually going to build any kind of monetization on mobile phones outside of Apple and Google today. Um, But I I like those kind of bets. And it's a a significant underpinning to our strategic analysis of why Activision Blizzard King is interesting for us.
1: Do you think that products like the, the Logitech cloud streaming handheld, the Steam Deck, we've seen some other cloud streaming handhelds, do you think they provide leverage against Apple?
2: No. I mean, I love those devices. I'm traveling right now. I'm in New York City and I have my Logitech with me and I'm playing in the hotel room. It's great. But I mean, just look at what Apple did to Fortnite, one of the biggest games in the world. When the suit came up against Epic, they just threw the game out of the store. Right. They literally just threw the like, could you imagine a console deciding whether it's us or Sony or Nintendo? Oh, we're going to just throw the biggest game on our platform or one of the biggest games on the platform out of the store. I mean, it our our relationship with creators is much more linked to our joint success. It just shows the market power that these companies have in, on the largest screen, uh, which is the small screen, the phone, that they can just throw big games out. I don't think. Apple or Google feel threatened by Logitech G Cloud or the Razer device or Steam Deck. Um, Because I I just think that's kind of a a different market. So we just saw Google shut down Stadia. That was
1: their big bet into game streaming. They made a lot of noise. I don't know what they were doing. It's Google. They launch things and shut them down all the time. From your perspective, trying to build a streaming product, having Xbox, seeing a a huge competitor come in and, and then leave, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that?
2: I always learn when other teams, whether it's building games, new genres, new business models. So it, it's it definitely and I have a, a lot of friends that work on Stadia um, were there at the beginning of it. And the thing I love, the technology investment that they made, I thought they did a good job building out a cloud platform. The hardware that they had was strong hardware. To me, I, I thought the extra step that I, I think maybe they, they could have added would have been some form of content subscription. Because when I thought about a customer base, because we were obviously going through similar math at the same time on how should we go to market to have the kind of predominant way your business model around a streaming subscription be built around the purchase of games early on in the kind of introduction of a new technology. And I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but our view was. That's not how we should start. We should start with something that has a lower marginal cost for a customer, meaning, okay, I pay 10 bucks, I can stream some games, pay 15 bucks, I can stream some games, and then I can test to see whether it works for me. Also, we added it to console, we added it to PC, so we gave people the option in the devices that they already loved playing video games. If you don't wanna wait for that game to download on console, just play from the cloud, you can try to figure it out, make these things available on PC. They obviously did on PC, Um, As well, but not to make it something that was kind of against console or against PC, but embrace where people love to go play and try to extend and give them more options, including the business model of how they uh, of how a customer builds their library. And it's always easy to say this in hindsight. So I'm not saying I'm smarter than anybody who works there. But to us, that was the. The extra step that you needed to take in order to get people to at least try and stick to the streaming service, and we're seeing that. You know, we've now had over 20 million people use xCloud. Cloud. Um, there are certain markets where a, a majority of our customers are playing on cloud on Xbox, and we think that's great. Like that, we can offer that option to people.
1: One thing I've heard about Google's plans for Stadia is they're gonna they're gonna white label it. They've actually now they have this ability. Okay, we can run a game engine in the cloud and stream it to you wherever you are. That's going to be great for the future of VR, right? You don't need all the processing power in the headset. You can make it way thinner and lighter. We can stream the game engine that's running the metaverse to you. It's a good thing we built this technology. Do you see that same opportunity for what you're building with Xcloud?
2: And, and this has nothing to do with us being in or not on VR. I'd say specific to VR, latency, frame rate, are so, so critical to comfort for players. We've definitely learned that over the years that I'm not sure I would start with a a proposition that my cloud streaming platform was great in that space. I'm not saying it can't get there eventually, but giving creators the option of delivering a game instantly to players, whether they're watching a YouTube video and they click over to play, they're watching Twitch, TikTok, whatever, um, as a way of distributing demos, as a way of distributing builds to get feedback, I think there is real use for a cloud infrastructure that can allow creators to distribute gameplay to their customers almost instantly, not to the exclusion of people downloading and play the games, but as just another option for them. Absolutely, I I see that. And I think what Google has built will find real application there. No doubt about that.
1: All right, let's end in the metaverse. Mark Zuckerberg has felt a lot of the same pressures that you were talking about a bit ago from Apple and Google. They're in control of his business and his monetization, and he has just burned money on metaverse devices. I have a Quest Pro here. I have a Quest Two. Quest two is actually a pretty good game console, if you think about it as a game console. Yeah. There's an appliance. It's like a great product. You were recently quoted as saying the metaverse is a bad video game. As of the Wall Street Journal, that's not conference. exactly
2: what I said, but
1: you said it was <laughs> on the margin, that's what you said. And Microsoft just made a big deal with Meta to put Office and Xbox and all this stuff in Microsoft's version of the metaverse. Where do you see those things colliding? Is it just another, another bet that Microsoft is making that you, the CEO of Microsoft Games, are participating in? Or is it, oh boy, video game worlds are going to suddenly render all of reality for us. I had better start inching closer
2: to it. I'm going to start quickly on my quote because I I think what I meant to say, (laughs) um, and I think I said this, is we're early on in in metaverse. And this idea that immersive 3D interaction between players or employees or customers can be more interesting than 2D interaction has been proven in video games. Like we've seen it. And most video games today are 3D. Like most kind of communal games, people love getting together and playing. And I, I think there is a future there. And I think today's worlds that people, metaverse that that people are building can be a little more imaginative on what they're building and what it looks like and use some of the kind of best tools that are available to video game developers to make spaces that are more interesting. And I think we'll get there. Um, In terms of the interaction with the rest of the company, Quest Pro, and I've used the device as well, and I think it's a really great piece of hardware. I think Quest 2 is is fantastic like today what's in the market if people ask me hey i'm really interested in vr what should i get i tell people to get a quest 2. i love the fact that sony continues to invest in vr i think as games as a games industry we should always be trying and evolving uh, our creative palette doesn't mean we all have to do exactly the same thing But as an industry, games have always been one of the early adopters of new technology and new interaction models. And I think VR, AR, metaverse is one of those things for us to have a a foothold in and to learn. For us, in terms of the interaction on Quest Pro specifically, that's more of a Microsoft thing than an Xbox thing. Meta had asked, hey, we've got, as we talked about, this PWA architecture and xCloud works. Is it cool if we show it? And they've got the Bluetooth binding, so the controller works. And we love people playing Xbox games on any screen that they want to go play on. So we were happy to support them in doing that. A little different than just given the price point and the enterprise focus of that device where Microsoft is, uh, but I don't. I don't think it's the last time that you'll see something on Xbox show up in a VR AR space. You know, we have teams that build great VR games, think about flight sim, you think about the work that a lot of the Bethesda teams or some of the Bethesda teams have done. I like to continue to learn and continue to to push on things. We're focused on our Xbox mission. We've been pretty deliberate about what that is on expanding from console, PC, mobile. So VR AR is not a big focus for us in gaming right now, but it is something that we'll constantly learn about and, and kind of track on where other players are. It seems like the whole tech industry is in a period of retrenchment.
1: Uh, we've seen some companies are starting to layoffs. Some companies are starting to hiring freezes. You're headed into a holiday quarter. Even in the games industry, right? Google said, you know what? We can't just keep throwing money at Stadia. We got to walk away from this. You're saying, all right, maybe this streaming stuff, uh, we got to take a pause until we hit our price points. Your last earnings, Game Pass numbers were not where you thought they were going to be. It just seems like we're in a big period of retrenchment and kind of like waiting for things to break, waiting for things to calm down. How do you see leading Microsoft games through this period, where it seems like a bunch of things we thought were going to change actually didn't change as much as we thought they were, and it's time to focus?
2: It's a really thoughtful question and something I think about a lot in my position is I want to run an organization and a product that has a commitment to our customers, that we've got a long-term vision that succeeds from a business perspective, because that means that their experience on Xbox will continue. And same thing for the teams that are working on Xbox and their investment in their own time and energy in the things that we build. I take running a successful business as a very serious part of of the job. We're doing that today. We run a profitable business in Xbox. I love the different ventures that we have and doing xCloud, doing Game Pass, focused on PC and our PC app, the work that we're starting to do more on mobile. I think all of that is important to build a long term business strategy that leads to business success. That means customers can bet that Xbox will be here today, it'll be here tomorrow, it'll be here into the future. And the teams that are working here can understand that they work in a stable place. That is a long-term commitment from Microsoft. And I, I think there's nothing more fundamental to my job than building out a stable business strategy, people strategy with the people that work on the team, and ensuring that the business strategy leads to financial success um, so that we can continue to invest in this category.
1: Well, Phil, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us on Decoder.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great.
1: Thanks again to Phil Spencer for taking the time to talk today and thank you for listening to Decoder. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, I'd love to hear what you think of Decoder. You can email us at decoder at theverge.com or hit me up directly on at Reckless on Twitter for however long there's a Twitter. If you like Decoder, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you really like Decoder, hit us with that five-star review. And as many of you have learned, if you tweet about Decoder, I will almost certainly retweet you. Decoder is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Community Podcast Network. Today's episode was produced by Creighton D. Simone and Jackie McDermott. It was edited by Callie Wright. The Decoder music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters, and our executive director is Eleanor Donovan. We'll see you next time.